On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, I've got a special guest. This guy started investing in real estate in 2008. It was his side hustle for over half a decade. And, and since then, since going full time, he's scaled a business, has a really awesome niche process, niche product, and niche market. We're going to get into all of that and more. He also runs a huge Facebook group for real estate investors. Welcome to the show, Josh Cohn. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. Welcome to the show, Josh. How you doing, Dan? <laughs> good, good. I, you know, I like doing these better in our studio, but we've been doing a lot of them on Zoom lately. Pretty much 100% virtual. Looks like you're holed up in your uh, quarantine cell as well. How's it going where you are? Day, day 29, man. I'm actually in our off in my office. It's like four or five blocks down the street from where I live. But um, the, the building's empty. There's nobody here. So it's uh, Bolster City's like a morgue right now. I mean, it's it's so quiet. It's crazy. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, it's 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 a little eerie just how how quiet things are in general. You know, I'm I'm quarantined down in Florida, so uh, we we came down here since our our Airbnb home pretty much. Uh, is not able to be rented right now so we thought we will we'll come use it so you know we get to enjoy being in south florida and, and water views at the intercoastal and, and all that but you know we went down to miami last weekend and it took 30 minutes to get there normally it's like over an hour oh my god yeah traffic traffic down your way is pretty bad usually yeah so the, the traffic is, is gone and you know all, all, just just interesting times we're in for sure. And I know we're going to talk a lot about uh, COVID-19 and what you're seeing in the real estate market, what you think investors should should look out for. But before we do that, why don't you tell people a little bit about your background? Because uh, you've got quite a background in real estate. Sure. So uh, like a lot of folks, I came to DC to work for the government back in 2004. I actually went to University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign uh, for a, a master's in electrical engineering. And it was the one year I think the Navy was actually recruiting out in the Midwest in those years. Um, and just by a whim, I got a job here in Washington, D.C., never saw the city, came out here. And three months later, I was moving here without knowing anything. But uh, I think within the first two years I was here, I noticed, you know, you remember the years of 2004, five and six, the market was booming. And I saw like as a young engineer working for the Navy as a government employee, making not a whole lot of money, I saw folks just crushing it in real estate in the DC region. And I wanted to sort of figure out how to get a piece of that. But um, started out sort of part-time as it took me actually four years to really get into investing. Like a lot of folks probably who are seeing the market right now, I wasn't sure that I didn't know when to enter as an investor being like a, a government employee with a, you know, very limited cash 
I wasn't sure, like, you know, I'm looking at the market in 04, 05, 06, 07. And I just wasn't sure, you know, I saw it go up and then I saw it immediately trickle down. But I finally got my feet wet in 2008. I felt like 2008 was sort of a bottom to the market. And I invested part time from 2008 to 2014 while still working at the research lab. Um, and it was in 2014, I finally went full time as an investor. What were you doing for the Navy? I was actually working in, I was a signal processing wireless communication guy. So I did research um, in communication, wireless comm, basically for the DOD. Gotcha. A lot of a lot of programming, analytics type work, very like technical work. So you got about five, five or so years of experience as a is doing this as a side hustle, and then a little over five years now doing it as as your main full time. Uh, correct. Gig. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us like the evolution of how that how that grew and like what's different, you know, doing it so when part-time I part-time versus full-time, you know, I think like a lot of your viewers may know, like when I was starting out part-time, um, it was actually myself and a partner from where I worked at that time. And we were both scared. We had limited cash. You know, we weren't sure honestly if the business would even work because I don't know, but you know, a lot of your viewers might be like me, but nobody in my extended family or friend base at that time, knew anything about real estate investing or even real estate in particular. I, I knew like, the only thing I did know, my grandfather who had passed away like 10 years prior had only said that the best investment he'd made his entire life. And this was till the age of like 80 something was his primary residence home. That's what he always preached to me, even when I was a little kid growing up that, you know, the stock market, Josh, like it goes up and down, you know, there's good years, there's bad years. And it all sort of averages out over time. But he's like, you know, the best investment I ever made was my home. He's like, and he told me the numbers of the house that that only stood in in the back of my mind. Like real estate was going to be, a, it, it's a great investment, even for, you know, even for someone like my grandfather who knew nothing, he saw that as the best investment in his life. So he kind of planted that seed in your head and then, and then you kind of, kind of went with it. Right. Exactly. So sort of like 2008, I started to see like, I felt like I didn't know anything really. I didn't study market cycles like I do now. I didn't really know anything about, I wasn't very sophisticated as an investor, but I sort of felt like at that time, 2008 seemed like either it was a bottom in the market or very close to it. And I'd been looking and looking and looking and looking for deals. I'd called probably every realtor in town. And it was like one day after work, a realtor reaches out from Arlington who worked for, I don't know if you know Saab Realty. She worked for Saab Realty at that time. And she's like, Josh, I got a deal in South Arlington. It's a foreclosure. You know, it's an REO that our firm represents. She's like, if you can't buy it, she knew I was like a looky-loo. I'd been looking for deals for months. (laughs) Like one of those guys who just called and called and never bought anything. And she's like, I know you've been looking for months. If you can't buy this deal, you'll never buy anything. And she's like, I'll give you till tomorrow to give to give me a decision. So it was like a row house on South Oakland Street in South Arlington. You know, you know sort of off Walter Reed Road. Yeah. And she's like, it's one seventy five. Don't try to lowball me. The price is firm. She knew I was going to probably come in lower. She's like, it's one seventy five firm. Take it or leave it. And that became my first deal. We we. Bought it for 175. We put about, it was like 35K into it and we sold it in a down market. 
you know, you remember the market in those years was pretty, pretty rough to some extent. There were almost no buyers out there. And we sold it within renovated and sold in like 65 days. She brought us a buyer 30 days after we bought it who wanted the finished products. We sold that for $349. Um, I think our first deal was like $110,000 on our first flip. And I was sold to, in the business ever since. Yeah, in two months, I don't. That's probably more than you were making in the Navy. At the I time. was making like sixty-two thousand a year yeah. at the time working for the Navy, and I'm like, man, this business. I, I call my parents and my sister. I'm like, man, this business actually really works. So, but, but part of the evolution, like if you go back to evolution, I mean, like a lot of folks, like especially for myself, if you come from like a nine to five thirty day job, and you're taught like as a kid that you know you should grow up into a corporate position, you know, elevate to the top of a company as, as best as you can. If that's sort of where you come from, you, you have a big fear factor in terms of, you know, you're fearful of leaving that sort of guaranteed biweekly paycheck. It, it becomes like ingrained in you that it's, it's just hard to leave. And so I spent six years, like, even though I was making it, I think by 2010 or 11, I was making three to four times my full-time day job in part-time income annually. And even then, like, I still was scared to leave. And when I look back on it now, um, there was one turning point in 2014. And that was like, my mom calls me up one day and she's like, you've been doing this part-time for six years. Like, you're making good money. What are you afraid of? Why don't you just get rid of the day job and take a chance, like, bet on yourself and see how, how far you can go with this. And uh, between that and something else I'd read, which was, and it's so true because I live like, I don't know if you, you know this sort of mentality, but I lived like this. If you're an employee in a corporation, it's often that you'll have sort of two accounts. You'll have like a checking account and a savings account and your biweekly paycheck will go into your checking account and you'll put all your savings in a savings account. So a lot of folks will run their personal checking accounts like I did down to practically zero and keep all their savings in a separate account. And when you're looking at that sort of every two weeks and seeing that your personal checking is going to zero without the next paycheck, it makes you more scared to leave. And I saw a video on this from, I forgot who talks about this, but um, he was like, take a year's worth of salary that you've saved up from your savings account, throw it in your personal operating account, your personal checking account, and watch it every two weeks for like three or four months and, and see if this, the, the fear that you have now goes away. And I started to see like the biweekly paycheck when I did that didn't make a huge impact. And within a month, I, I literally quit. Like I watched it for three months a month later, I literally turned in my resignation. And when I went to my supervisor in the government, he's like, this doesn't happen. People just don't stay in the government this many years and leave. People thought it was crazy, but that's what it took for me to get over the fear. What, what was it like after you left? Like, how did, how did that change your, your real estate business? Um, our business started to really grow. It, it took a little bit, but... I started to see like, honestly, it's harder on a business part-time. So like as a part-time business, it was sort of something where we didn't have systems and process. We didn't have employees. 
we only took on deals as, as we needed to versus going full time. Like there's more pressure to perform and like the business actually becomes a business. So like within a few months, I saw a huge transition in how the business was approached. Like we had a real marketing plan. Um, we started to develop like a process for like how we're going to get deals to come in. Um, up until 2014, for example, we didn't even, we did no direct mail, for example, we had no paid marketing. Uh, we went from a business that was sort of like a part-time, you know, hustle where we just saved every penny to an actual business that was spending money to bring deals in. And, th and then over the time we started to bring on employees and staff to support you know, our business model. We actually created a legitimate business model too. And how many, how many homes are you doing, doing now? Like, how, yeah, on average, we're doing about eight to 10 projects at a time. And then we're wholesaling a lot of stuff as well. So we might wholesale anywhere from like two to four or five deals a month, just depending on what we get. But that's pretty much our primary business today. We don't, we don't do a lot of buy and hold, but we have a few here and there. And the eight, eight to 10 projects you're doing, like how, how long are those typically? Taking so we, we have a very niche, size? we have a very niche business model. Um, I was trained actually by a guy who is now retired. He lives in, in uh, Pennsylvania. He built commercial and residential for about 40 something years. And like a lot of your viewers, like I knew I needed like mentors over the years. I needed to go to people who knew more than I did. Even in 2014, after doing renovations for six years, I knew that I still didn't really know anything about construction. And I started talking to this individual who ultimately ended up moving away. But for four years, he trained me how to build, like how to become a legitimate renovator builder. And we created a niche business in what we call affordable luxury new homes. And essentially what we do is we build what's classified as new construction buy, build and sell in about six to seven months. So we're like, our average project today, we're in and out of in six to seven months or less, but it's technically a new construction home. It's at a lower price point. So most of our houses are today like one, one and under. The average resale somewhere between like 800 to 1.1. And you're, are, are, are these, are you doing the full, full permit set, tear down and, and rebuild on these? So pretty exactly. So part of what we did, what I realized over the years, cause I, I did a few new construction, you know, full, full new construction early on. And I realized that like for our business model, the time frame was too long and the risk was too great, at least for me. So what we ended up doing, cause I feel like as an investor, your biggest risk is the time, that, unless your margin is really, really good. And our margins our margins are good, but they're not amazing. So I realized, you know, we need to have these projects get in and out in six to seven months or less. And how can we do that? Essentially, what we're doing is we're, we study the laws of the jurisdiction. So for example, in Fairfax County right now, if you keep the land disturbance under 2,500 square, uh, under 2,500 square feet, they will let you build a new, what's classified as a new construction home built in 2020 without going through a grading plan, without waiting 45 to 65 days just for a permit, without implementing the grading plan. You know, there's all these additional costs that you're gonna incur and a lot of more time. So essentially we avoid all that red tape. We cut about 120 to 150 in construction costs per project. 
And we're still able to deliver what's considered a new construction home in six to seven months or less versus 12 to 14. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know for, if you, if you go the full permit set and engineering and all that, you're, you know, you're, you're looking at a year if you're really, really good. So I, I think the strategy of cutting that in half now is, is awesome. Is there a trade-off? Like do you, do you have to build a smaller product or what's, what's the deal? We there? are, we are building a smaller product. Uh, one of the pushbacks that we had for a while was, you know, a lot of our homes don't have basements necessarily. So what we did is as a offset to the basement is now all of our new homes have lofts. So we'll have two floors plus like a really large loft. We're, we're getting a special engineer trust so that we can have a third floor that has an eight foot or eight and a half foot ceiling. And in many cases, actually the, the pushback that we used to have for basements completely disappear, disappears because our loft space is even nicer than most basements. Um, it's just more natural light. It's a really nice open space and it's above grade. And you're, you're eliminating the expense. And I, and I guess if you, if you had to do it, it would, it would put you over the land disturbance requirement, but you're eliminating the expense of having to, to dig and pour the foundation. And like, we save, we save so much money in demolition, so much money in foundation work so much money in waterproofing work, so much money in grading plan implementations and stormwater management, and so much time too. And at the end of the day, the product still looks amazing and we can warranty it as a new build. So we give our clients a state-of-the-art uh, builder warranty, 10 years insurance, bumper to bumper on the structure, two years all systems, one year all craftsmanship. So our, our clients who are largely a lot of times sort of that uh, millennial demographic that can't afford that one five or one eight price point still gets a brand new home at a price they can afford. Yeah, I think overall it's it's a really cool concept. You're you're getting into a price point that's more affordable for more people. So you're you're but but then you're you're saving a ton on the time and and the uh, the cost to to do it. So like you said, maybe slightly less margin but your your turnover is higher your risk is lower so uh, you know i think everyone out there listening needs to like take a uh an analytical approach to your your business and figure out like is there a niche process that i can pair with a niche market it sounds like that's what you did exactly exactly it's a very niche product honestly like the last four or five years we've really refined how to do it and we have it you know, itemized down right now to, to a T. So we have actually a cloud-based uh, construction platform we use and we have our estimates, our templates are all worked out for, you know, how much we're going to spend on pure footers, how much we're going to spend on the framing package. But, you know, five years ago, even we didn't have anywhere close to the sort of organization we have now on it. Um, but I think it's like anything else, like you sort of refine your process as you, as you grow. Uh, I agree completely. Are you a real estate agent with friends or clients moving to or from the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area? Send them to the number one team in the area. The Kerry Shell team will ensure they get world-class treatment and the best possible results buying or selling their home. The Kerry Shell team has the best training, systems, and marketing, and we proudly guarantee our results. To refer us business, call the Kerry Shell team at 703-589-9067 or go to referkerryshell.com. What has the impact 
Man, I know we talked a little bit about this before the show, but what has the impact of the coronavirus been so far on your business? Everything from the, the sale at the end of it to you know your ability to find deals right now, investor capital, you know, permitting process. Like, let's let's go through it all because I know a lot of people are. are so on the out there. on the permitting side, we got three just sitting in permit right now that have gone nowhere in more than a month right now in Fairfax. Fairfax just literally went to uh, the sort of virtual system in the last three weeks. And since they've done that, it's been like nearly impossible to get anything done. So we're just sort of sitting on the on this stuff right now and, and it's going nowhere. Um, in terms of new deals, we're definitely seeing a lot of fear in the marketplace. I, I personally am seeing like 90% of the investors are are to stand still. They're not sure what to do. Um, I think steer, fear has like driven them to just total paralysis. And then you got the other 10% who, these are investors who've been around for a while and they're just going all in. They're, you know, they're, they're cold calling, they're text blasting, they're following up with their lead databases and they're, they're finding incredible deals right now. So it's sort of a tale of two worlds, I think. What, what are you seeing on the on the uh, the final sales, like your products that are done or near completion? We've had a couple different issues. We had one where one of the buyer's spouses lost their job in the middle of the transaction. Um, we have another that has a move-up buyer, and that move-up buyers had issues selling their existing house. Um, well, it's finally under contract, I believe, now. There's been some shakiness even on the lending side, like the lending programs are changing, it seems like, daily. They're getting a little bit tighter, but at the moment, I haven't seen a huge, huge impact. Um, actually, in, in Falls Church, things are actually, I'm hearing stories from like other places like PG County and even some parts of DC, maybe like sort of transitional parts of Northeast or Southeast. But at the moment, I'm seeing like Falls Church inventory is still moving pretty quickly and the same in Falls Church City and to some extent, the same in Annandale. So I think the closer in communities inside the Beltway are still pretty strong at the moment. Yeah, we've we've noticed several trends. Uh, what what about investor capital? Have you have you noticed uh, any difference in what it takes to get someone to invest in a project right now, or to, if you have to raise I, funds? I, I think on one side, like I've heard a lot of reports how Wall Street sort of fed this whole hard money boom the last five years. So. Apparently in the hard money space, I, I didn't even really know this, but in the last five years, Wall Street was like basically the end user of 90% of that capital. So when we started to see hard money at 8% and two points, the last five, six years even, most of that money was coming from Wall Street. From what I understand, like most of that Wall Street capital is pulled out at the moment. So hard money lenders are becoming really hard to identify. If you're an established investor, I think you can still get a loan. Granted, the rates are going to be higher. So if you were paying like eight and two, even a month ago, you might be paying like nine and two or 10 and two right now. Um, if you're someone less experienced, you might be going to somebody like Dominion or Temple View, and you might be paying 13 and two. I, I think hard money has gone back to what it used to be in, in you know the early 2010s, which is you know, it's all relationship, it's private investor capital, like real individuals lending. So you're, you're going to pay more for that money. Um, on the investor side, our personal investors were a little bit scared. And then we started started talking about 
what kinds of opportunities are going to be out there. And for the moment, like our folks are excited, you know, about the near future and beyond. I, I could share with you like sort of the things that we talked about, but um, a big part of it was like creative financing coming back. There'll be more deals potentially to buy that, you know, you can buy and hold. So we're, we're looking at a lot of stuff in the, in the upcoming years could be buy and hold for us. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, I've, I've noticed, you know, a lot of investors are more nervous, hard money is changing, traditional money is changing. None of it though is insurmountable if you have a good, a good deal. That's, that's like kind of always been true, no matter what the market is. If, if you can find a good deal, you'll find a way to, to get the capital you need, the financing you need. I definitely am seeing on the wholesale side. So we've had like, I think about four or five wholesale deals this past month. All of them sold probably somewhere around 10% less than what they would have like a month ago. Um, but as long as you got a good enough margin, I mean, I understand why they're selling 10% less. People are kind of scared. They're unsure. But as long as you have good enough margin, I mean, you, you can still make money as a wholesaler right now too. Um, I, I do think location though matters. Like you got to get deals in, in good locations. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I really, I think that's kind of what makes the DMV market a lot different than the rest of the country. We have so many government jobs that aren't going to go away. And I think at a certain price point, you know, there's, there's just a lot of resiliency and, you know, my, my kind of thinking, and yeah, this is a little bit of a crystal ball on my end, but DC already had a a housing shortage projected over the next decade, like 374,000, something like that. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing this weird combination of, you know, a few buyers are deciding to wait and investors and development is a little slower. So I think at some point, I don't know when, so you have to be able to, to have projects that make sense now, but at some point you're going to see this release of like pent up demand where you'll see, the buyers who waited a month or two or three or however long this lasts, you know, plus the normal buyer flow mm-hmm. all competing for slightly less developments that are in the pipeline. So I, I think this could, could help the, at some point, help the supply and demand balance, get, get even more unbalanced because it's already a little bit unbalanced in, in our, in our markets or, or some of them anyway. And, you know, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that. So- I tell you, so like, I think what I see from investors that I know and the group that we run, I think a lot of investors don't have a business model. And I know you from all the stuff that you've done, I'm sure you guys have a really crystal tight business model, but it's funny in the investment world, like a lot of folks get into this and like they come from really diverse backgrounds. They could be really successful in what they did previously, but somehow a lot of folks, when they become investors, like forget to like put a business plan together and forget to like create a model. And I think, so one of the things that we look at is we have like, for example, what you would call a seller avatar and we have a buyer avatar. So for a seller avatar, we have a certain clientele that we know are an ideal fit for us to buy from. You know, they have a 1950s house, they have a a one level type teardown property. It's in an infill community that is desirable to us and our prospective buyers we have this avatar that describes who we should be talking to to buy deals from. And the same could be said about our buyer avatar. Our buyer avatar is largely, you know, this 
sort of educated millennial, good salary position base of clientele that is looking just probably outside of Arlington because they can't quite afford Arlington. I think you have to sort of look at your whole business model and see how it is going to be affected with COVID-19. But I think it comes down to like what you talked about earlier with me offline. I mean, it's, does your buyer avatar, are they going to struggle to get financing in a, in a tighter financial market? I don't believe that our buyer avatar will because they have good, good salaries in general. They have good income. They have good savings. Um, They probably have really good credit scores on average would be my estimate. If your buyer avatar as an investor is, you know, if that demographic's losing their jobs right now, or they don't typically bring as much money for a down payment, or they have lower credit scores, that segment of the real estate market could have a larger impact. What, what do you think are some keys that a real estate investor should do differently or should do more of right now, you know, regardless of what their model type is or the business model is? I would say more direct to seller marketing. I would say a lot more. I think there's too much of the same message going around and people are scared. You have to put yourself in the mindset of like who you're selling. If you're talking about sellers, I think you have to put your mindset in terms of what is a typical seller thinking right now. I think of the conversations only about, you know, selling your house fast for cash at this moment. I think that message is going to get lost. Um, so one of the, to give you an idea, one of the things that we're doing right now in the markets that we work is a person on my team is putting out um, care packages in the community. Just, just let people know that, you know, DC First Properties is still in the neighborhood. We're still building. If there's, and we're, forget about real estate. If there's anything that you guys need, we're available. Just give us a call. I, I think if the message is only about buying the house fast for cash right now, I think that message could get lost. You know, make, maybe making the calls, doing text messaging, sending out mail pieces that have a different message that, you know, just sort of have more empathy or whatnot for what's going on. I think that's a better message to have. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think you might want to add to that or, or something you could experiment with is, is add the safety element. Be like, look, you know, we know this is going on coronavirus, uh, but we also know you might need to still sell your home. Here's what we can do differently to mm-hmm. help minimize exposure during that process. Right. Like, and you could kind of pick on the, the traditional real estate agent depends on getting lots of buyers in your house and, you can show us your house virtually or on FaceTime and, and we can look at it and, and tell you what kind of offer we can make. And, and sure. you don't even have to have, you know, you don't even have to have one buyer come into your house. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would tell you another thing actually that we're doing, I a hundred percent agree with what you just said. Part of our care package, by the way, is sort of that it's that sort of message that goes with the package that says, you know, we're still here. We're still buying. We're in the community. If you're thinking about selling or there's anything we can do for you, please give us a call. So I 100% agree with what you just said. The other thing I would say, we're also adding to our arsenal right now. Um, and we have a good example of this yesterday is that more creative financing is coming around. And I think if you're an investor who's in a position to explain to a seller, you know, why they should consider owner financing or some sort of creative financing, you know, the chances are better for you to getting that deal. 
one of the things that we've talked about or we've trained our folks to talk about is that financing has been dramatically impacted. You know, if you're a seller, we can't be looking at comps from four or five weeks ago. You know, we're in a different marketplace today. So, you know, we're in a different marketplace. The financing's impacted. People are losing their jobs. Cash has become more expensive. That's another thing we didn't touch on, but cash is becoming more expensive. But here's what we can do. We can give you that cash offer. It's going to be a little lower than what you thought you were going to get four or five weeks ago. Or we can go to this creative offer where there's benefits to doing that for you. Yeah, I I, I like that approach too. Because you could, you could tell them like, look, I'll, I'll give you some cash out now so that you got safety, security, and you get some cash. But but rather than you go put that money at risk with the volatile stock market or make like nothing on interest rates now, because they, they can't earn shit on a bond, give, give me seller financing for 70%, 80% or, or whatever you need for your project. And, and I'll pay you five, 6%, whatever. Like you're going to, you're not going to get that securely, safely in any other vehicle right now. And if you, if you don't need if you need some of the cash now, but not the rest of it for like six months or a year, even like, you know, why not work out something like that? A hundred, a hundred percent. So actually, and you can take it a step further even too. So the way that we look at it is that the less money we have to put down, the higher, um, the higher the price. So if we're putting like 5% down, you could be at like, let's say 400,000. If we have to put no money down and the term is longer, let's say, Let's say you put 5% down at 400 and you have a term for five years. We could go to 435 at 10 years with, let's say, 2% down. So the less we have to put down, the higher the price and the longer the term that we pay them. Yeah, but and, you're if, up- and if you're if you're doing it buy and hold, great. If you're flipping it, well, you could you could even offer uh if, if I flip it, I'll give you the option to cross to, to, to switch the collateral to, to my next thing I buy, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. It's kind of like you said though. I mean, if your seller avatar and, and, and for us, like our seller avatar often is like older folks that, you know, they're baby boomers, they owe nothing. If that's your sort of seller avatar, then where's that person going to put their money right now? Are, are they going to take less than 1% in a savings account and watch massive inflation just wipe them out? Or are they going to go for something that's, you know, basically cash flow in their pocket? Are, are they going to take five and a half percent interest and get a monthly payment, which could be, you know, guaranteed income for them for the next five or 10 years or longer if they want to. Yeah, I agree. It's a win-win for everyone. But what are you doing differently for buyers right now? For, for the I, 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 definitely, I definitely think that more investors should be presenting those opportunities. I hear a lot of wholesalers saying, well, Josh, like, I don't have money to do that deal. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter if you have money to do that creative deal. Even if you don't, you can wholesale that creative deal to somebody who does, and it'll be a great opportunity for them. So, you know, if someone brought me, for example, or I'm sure even you, like a, a deal that had 90, 90% owner financing for the next five years at, at a reasonable return where you can still cash flow, I'm going to pay that wholesaler 10, 15K for that opportunity. I mean, that would, that's yeah, kind of a no brainer. I would do that any day, and then I could, I would, yeah. So if you're listening, you have a seller finance deal, uh, <laughs> bring, bring it to one of us at least. I, I think more wholesalers need to be adding that to their arsenal because I think if they're not presenting that as an opportunity, they're missing out on business right now. And, and I think with 
the way the financial markets have been affected, I mean, that's a win-win for everybody. So, well, I I agree. This has been great. I I would talk more, but I actually have a call with with someone on <laughs> debt and equity on one of my deals. Uh, I gotcha coming up. So uh, before we sign off, tell people how they can connect with you, and and you might as well mention your uh, your Facebook group as. as so well. I'm always on Facebook. Check out DMV Dealmakers on Facebook. You can hit me up, Josh Cohen on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, the real Josh Cohen one. I'm always open to talking to you about your deals, opportunities, investing. And I'm also looking at business opportunity investing as well right now. So if you have a business that you know of that might be for sale, real estate, businesses, whatever, hit me up. Dan, I really appreciate you having me out today. It's, yeah, it's no, I, I, uh, I appreciate it as well. And, and just so everyone knows, DMV Dealmakers on Facebook, that's, that's a group, right? Of uh, how, it's many a people, group. how many people are in that now? We're just shy of 4,000. Okay, um, so a big group on Facebook. People are constantly posting like questions or deals or, you know, picking each other's brains. It's, it's an interesting, you know, dynamic of people. You know, whether you're experienced or whether you're a beginner or somewhere in between, you'll, you'll find somebody who's at the same level that you are. And that, that's a good size too, because it's 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 big enough that there's uh, you know some 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 people at all different levels in there, but but not so big. Like sometimes you see these groups get so big, and like it just becomes almost really difficult at a certain point when a group is is big to like separate the good shit from the people that are full of crap. And <laughs> I, I think it, at at this level, like it's 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 very manageable and, and easy for someone to navigate and and learn a lot from. For sure. For sure. No. And I think the other thing about the group that's unique is everyone's in the DC region. So we're not like, it's not like somebody from Oregon talking about the Oregon market and you know, we're, the rest of us are, everyone's in the DC region and seeing what's going on like here locally. Cause at the end of the day, all real estate's local. So I think that makes local. a big difference. Yeah, I agree. Well, Check out the Facebook group, DMV Dealmakers. And once again, thank you, Josh. This has been great. And we look forward to having you on sometime in the future. Maybe yeah, thanks for having COVID me. COVID-19. I'll talk to you later. soon. Take care, Josh. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyperfat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyperfat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.